The Admiralty want men experienced in marine internal combustion engines for service as enginemen in yachts or motorboats. Others who have had charge of motorboats and have good knowledge of coastal navigation are needed as uncertified second hands. Application should be made to the nearest registrar, Royal Naval Reserve, or to the fishery officer. It was August of 2022, not that long ago, when I was at the grounds of the Michael Dennett Shipbuilders in Chertsey in the UK. It's about half an hour outside of London proper, and the owner, Stephen Dennett, had something that I desperately wanted to see. If you follow me for some time on this channel, either on TikTok or on this podcast, you know that... I owe the vast majority of any success I had, as little as it may be, to Titanic second officer Charles Herbert Leitholder. I fell in love with his story, I did, and, and from that grew this channel, grew this podcast. And I wanted to see his boat. Well, not the Titanic. That one's at the bottom of the ocean and it's difficult to get to without paying an exuberant amount of money. No. I wanted to see Sundowner, a boat that I had never heard of until very recently in the past few years. When I climbed in with Stephen Dennett, the shipbuilder, I allowed myself to just be there. The interior had been stripped of most of its fittings. There were marks on the walls and holes in the floor that indicated where things had once stood. Things that I'm sure that Lightoller put there with his own hands or other owners of the boat. This was the boat that Charles Lightoller took to Dunkirk. You see, Lightoller had survived the Titanic in a freak series of incidents that I like to call divine intervention. And if you've listened to my podcast at all, you already know that. He was shot up by an explosion as the ship sank. He was rocketed to the surface next to an overturned lifeboat that he commandeered for an hour until the Carpathia arrived. But this is where the story continues. He became a war hero. And during Operation Dynamo, the Dunkirk evacuation, he saved 130 men on this boat built for 20. And there I was, standing in the middle of Charles Lightoller's boat, where he himself had once stood. The items were all gone. The history remained. And this is where my story and Charles Lightoller's story intersect with two others. This is God's Favorites, a history podcast. Thanks for joining us for a very special episode Saving Sundowner. Some years ago, I had never heard of the boat called Sundowner, and though I knew who Charles Lightoller was, it was a series of incidents via TikTok that led me to becoming this man's advocate, or at least the advocate for his boat. A video I did on him went viral. And after learning more about his story, I decided I had to tell it in a more complete form, which led to the podcast that you're listening to now. 
God's Favorites, a history podcast. But what I didn't know or expect to happen was the sheer emotional attachment I would feel to him and, and the desire to be his defender. Charles Leitler is a very polarizing figure in Titanic circles. I didn't even realize that at the time. I just remembered him from A Night to Remember as the man who balanced on an overturned lifeboat for a couple hours until help arrived. I didn't know the way that his story had lined up so perfectly that every disaster and everything he experienced would lead to the successful saving of 130 members of the British Expeditionary Forces at Dunkirk on a boat built for 20. And when I started digging into what had happened to that boat, I was horrified. The boat was part of a trust in Ramsgate, but there wasn't a lot of money coming in and volunteers were having to work around the clock to keep the boat safe donating their own money to buy oil for the engine. She was just in Ramsgate Harbor, rotting. But you see, that is where my story intersects with two other people who were working to keep her alive. And this is how I met Stephen Dennett. Stephen's father owns Michael Dennett Shipbuilders, but Dennett runs the show now, and he ended up going on a trip to Ramsgate where he saw Sundowner. Stephen has an eye for boats. Shipbuilding is in his blood, and he hopes one of his kids will eventually become a shipbuilder as well, but for now, it's him. And Stephen has one heck of an eye when it comes to spotting what's wrong with a boat, especially a boat of the historic significance of Sundowner. Um, I didn't know they were going to sell her. It was more along the lines of, I'd seen it recently. Well, I'd seen it recently before it sold. And I recognised that it was getting worse. They were putting pieces of paper on it and bits of tape and painting them white. So it looked like it was all right. But I can see past that. That's my job. I know when a boat's going downhill. It was going downhill. And the man that owned it uh, couldn't afford to do it. He couldn't afford to restore it. He sort of ended up accidentally owning it because the Ramsgate Trust had him do some work and then they couldn't pay for the work. So they sort of gave him the boat, even though it was still in the trust name. So I managed to find someone who was in the marina who knew this man and I arranged a meeting to go and see him. So I went down to see him and I didn't know the boat was for sale. And I spoke to him and I said, oh, your boat is a state. What if it sinks in Ramsgate Marina here? then you'll be liable for getting it back up and all the pollution and you'll be in a lot of trouble and everybody around here will hate you because you've let sundown a sink. So I laid it on pretty thick. And that He really, he wasn't doing the boat any good and it was getting worse and it was going to get to the stage where no one would touch it. Theatrics and parental scolding, notwithstanding, it did work. But the problem was now Stephen needed to find someone who could purchase the boat. And it was going to cost a lot of money to fix, except they did not know exactly how much. The boat did still run, but she was rotting. There were holes marked in wood surrounded by caution tape so that people would not fall through the flooring. Charles Lightoller had taken such good care of the sundowner, And though Stephen does collect the little ships of Dunkirk to repair them, he knew it was going to cost a lot of money. And so he became interested in finding someone 
to save this boat. What he believes, and is accurately calling the most famous boat, the most famous little ship of Dunkirk. Whereas as it was, you could drive it about and it all worked. So I went to see him and I look over the boat and I said, I'll be in contact and we left it. Um, And when I came back, I rung up a few different clients that I knew were in the sort of market for something a bit unusual. And so um, uh, they all said no. Uh, One of them had just bought his neighbour's house and another one had just bought another boat a couple of weeks beforehand. I went, oh no, what am I going to do now? so I've got the perfect boat for somebody and all the and I was just happened to be working on John's boat and this is where our third party comes in John Mullenscott John collects boats and it just so happened that Stephen was fixing one of his and when Stephen told him the story behind the boat John was immediately interested the thing is sundowner is a priceless and expensive boat. After sitting on it for a bit, John decided to ring up Steve to ask him a question. And I told him what I'd done that day, and he rang me a week later and he said, Steve, can I come and talk to you? And I thought he was going to talk about his boat. He turned up and I said, all right, what do you want to talk about? You know, your boat's all looking lovely. He went, can I buy Sundowner? And I went, well, I don't mean to be rude, but you don't look like an eccentric millionaire. And before we get to the story of John buying Sundowner, let me tell you first about the birth of the ship that would become Sundowner. One of the most amazing things about this project is that the account of building Sundowner comes mostly from Charles Herbert Lightoller himself. An organization put together a small booklet explaining the history of Sundowner. But what you also have are a series of diary entries from the man himself. And though Charles Lightoller acquired Sundowner in the 1920s, she started as a steam penance boat in 1912, the same year the Titanic sank. Her frame, muddied, was found in a junkyard by Charles Lightholder's wife, Sylvia. They had wanted a boat, but money was tight, and it had been difficult for any officers involved in the Titanic disaster to make their way back up the ranks. Life was hard. But sailing was the only thing that Charles Lightholder knew. And in the most artistic vision possible... They saw what that muddy piece of metal could become, although they likely didn't know it would become the most famous of all of the little ships of Operation Dynamo, the Dunkirk Evacuation. Lightoller's entries in his log read, like grocery list, the cost and different things that he would acquire. They also had weather reports. Designs prepared for cells and mass giving the required center of effort is thought to be now complete. We heard that Shamrock's ballroom jib was going cheap, owing to a mouse making holes through all the folds. We got four splendid cells and wife plans and cuts all the awnings, and there is enough left to make three dozen pillow slips, tea towels, tray cloths, 
etc. Where does super quality Irish unbleached linen? This cell was purchased at Haybridge and is 84 by 75 by 45, larger, in fact, than a full-size tennis court. And all of this, of course, will not be needed as one sale. The cost was seven pounds. Also at the same place was a teakwell house for 12 pounds, 10 shillings. The 4th of February, 1929. A rudder is required to go hunting. Eventually decide to buy the hull and resell after removing the rudder. However, as we have all become so keen on watching our hobo grow, we gave her a thick coat of paint to try and stop some of the leaks. We named the hole Kadunk for no earthly reason and cut a hole from the after cabin to midship section and with the aid of a few packing cases and boards made it into a dining saloon. The Ford section was used as a second sleeping cabin. Many happy days spent on old Kadunk. It had been decided to change the name of the boat from Hobo to Sundowner. Despite the taboo that is put on boats changing their name, it has been considered right in this particular case as Sylvia is Australian, and Sundowner is an Australian term for tramp or hobo. 10th of March, 1929. The great day. Sundowner is launched. Big gathering of the population to see it. Simply hundreds. It could have been a misfire. Sylvia christened it by breaking a bottle of wine and cut her finger in the process on a piece of broken glass. The boat was then got away. At the suggestion of one of the locals, the villagers were arrayed on each side holding a rope to steady her. She finally slipped down with all the family on board as crew. Flags were fore and aft in a rainbow fashion on both Sundowner and Kadunk. To make this scene, a set of flags was borrowed from the conservative club in Sittingborough. It was a relief to have her afloat without damage for at one period when the boat was just on taking the water the way under the starboard bilge kill carried away and it looked as though something might have happened underwater, but it turned out to be nothing. The fact was that the engine oil, instead of the good soft soap, was used on the slipway. That meant the slipper struck. When the engine was tried, it started perfectly. 28th of June, 1929. No matter what financial troubles the Lightollers encountered in those years, even with five children to feed and a war brewing across the Atlantic, they loved their home on the water. There are so many photos of Charles with his children, just having days at different beaches or him entering races, having the fun that he never could on the Titanic or when he worked for the White Star Line, period, because things were ran in a military fashion. He enjoyed the sea, but no one knew just how important that boat would be in Europe's darkest hour. Du, meine Arbeit für Richtigkeit, ob du glaubst, dass ich fleißig gewesen bin, dass ich gearbeitet habe, dass ich mich in diesen Jahren für dich eingesetzt habe, dass ich anständig meine Zeit verwendet habe im Dienste meines Volkes. Gib du jetzt deine Stimme ab. Wenn ja, dann tritt für mich ein, so wie ich für dich eingetreten bin. We all know, especially if you've listened to the podcast, that Charles Lightholder survived many a close call at sea. And it was likely he didn't understand the importance that the Sundowner would eventually play in history. He was always ready, though. But there were a lot of surprises along the way, and I can't help but wonder if John Mullenscott, who bought the boat, felt the same way as he tried to transport the boat from Ramsgate to Chertsey. Yes, Charles Lightoller always seemed to be invincible, but in this occasion, 
When John went to grab his boat, there may have been some fear, or at least the thought that maybe Lytoler had been lucky. But no doubt there was a curiosity in the air wondering if his boat happened to carry the same kind of good luck that seemed to follow my good luck Chuck everywhere he went. It did, but it didn't mean that the adventure was without excitement. I asked John about the journey. The boat was in bad shape, but it had to get to Michael Dennett shipbuilders. He had purchased the boat blind, but once he got there, he found out that many people in Ramsgate did not want him to take the boat from Ramsgate. You see, she left from Ramsgate to go to the Dunkirk evacuation. She was a part of their history. So, with some people very, very upset, he nevertheless had to take the boat and get it out safely. Here's what John had to say about the experience. I had two locks. So there was an inner and an outer lock. Um, so when we arrived, we couldn't get the boat out the first lock. So, and then also it was suddenly, there was mixed emotion, mixed responses because this national floating monument had now been sold to a private person like reporters, stuff was sort of, I had some people that were congratulations. There were also somewhere it was like people really unhappy that was leaving the harbor. So it was like, it was very clear that we needed to be really honest about what we were doing with it, that we weren't just, you know, that we still saw it as part of the history. We weren't doing something strange with this boat. Um, and yeah, and then so we end up meeting all the original people that were looking after the boat, part of the museum, part of the history, couldn't get into the museum. And then we started the motor and we did kind of the checks on it. And yeah, it, the pump that pumps water through the engine is like an impeller, like a rubber impeller. It was just completely disintegrated. So we're like, okay, now we need to get another impeller and you can't get one. And it was a Saturday. So we like we ended up making the whole, you might have seen the video on the Instagram, like this whole rig through the fire hose and the fire pump to go through the engine. And then we were like, okay, we're either going to call this off or we're not. It didn't have batteries. We've got new batteries. We've got all the bits and pieces that we needed for it. Um, we did a, that was it. We did a trial run where we just kind of went out of the harbor. We came back again. And obviously as soon as we went out, it was just like an impeller just imploded. It was like, Next day, we were like, okay, we're going to, we've got another impeller. We kind of makeshift, we kind of, and then the whole journey was just literally like keeping the engine running, getting all the bits going, like rerouting that water hose, keeping it cool, kind of not pushing the engine, getting the tide, but it all just worked really, really well. I mean, Alex, the skipper was brilliant. Um, we had quite a few deckhands and then we kind of made really good time. We needed to get through kind of, we're pushing the, the tide, but we needed the tide to turn because that would give us a last bit into actual the Thames. So we got through quite late, but it was amazing because it was all sunset, all the lights going through Tower Bridge. Um, we got a police escort, something like one of the police patrol boats was to the side of us and was just watching us and following us down. And they gave us kind of like a little nod. When you really think about it, and you think of all the disasters that Charles Lightoller saw during his many years at sea, it makes sense that the boat 
the saving of the Sundowner would be also full of issues. And yet, strangely, it would all work out. They had an escort of people making sure they got where they needed to be, and though the boat was in bad shape, they made basically an Apollo 13-style rescue to pump water out, while other people held onto the portholes that were shaking from the boat. When they arrived in Chertsey, the engine almost gave out, but with one last push, the boat made it to the dock, and they were able to tow it out of the water. The Sundowner has the same luck as the unsinkable Charles Herbert Lightoller. In the late 1930s, Charles Herbert Lightoller's son, Herbert Bryan, decided to join the Royal Air Force, and it was a conversation over breakfast one morning in which Lightoller was bemoaning the use of these new Nazi war machine planes that seemed to give the Reich a better advantage over the Royal Navy, but Herbert Bryan was a very capable pilot, and he explained to his father that sometimes, if you're looking at the nose of a plane, that sometimes you can watch the nose of a plane lock in seven degrees. There's a click of a weapon pointing toward a boat. If you are sharp enough to look for that small dip of the nose of the plane, he explained, you should be able to get out of the way quite easily. Herbert Brian Lightoller would be killed very early on. He was one of the Royal Air Force's first casualties. This nearly destroyed the Lightoller family. They had not expected their youngest son to perish so quickly, but during a night raid, he became disoriented and crashed. Charles Herbert Lightoller would have a fear of flying for the rest of his life. He had been in planes during the First World War, but never liked them. This just exacerbated the issue. Lightoller had two other sons, and as he answered the call, the Admiralty call for boats, little ships to go to Dunkirk, he was not only a man going to fight for his country, he was a father going to save his son. One of his sons was on the beach. His other son was on the boat with him. The route to Dunkirk was familiar to Lightoller. He had been on torpedo boat duty in the Dover Patrol during the First World War. He sailed straight to the HMS Worcester where a commander asked him how many he could take off of the boat. Sundowner's capacity was 21 people. Charles Herbert Lightoller lied. He said a hundred. Ultimately, he fit 130 people on board this boat. They were crammed in every nook and cranny, and on the trip back to England, they ran into a dive bomber who squared off with the boat, and it was then that Lightoller recalled what his youngest son had told him. He watched the nose of the plane. He watched it dip seven degrees. And from there, he told his son at the helm to turn. After two runs, the bomber gave up, and Lightoller returned home. Some months after I started my podcast, I got in touch with Steve and asked to see the boat. I had been 
contemplating writing a book or perhaps some other creative project. I just loved the story. The Sundowner had been stripped of most of her parts and was parked, for lack of a better term, because she definitely is not safe in water, underneath a tent. Stephen explained she would need to be replanked and then asked me the question that I wanted him to so badly, but I didn't want to appear to be impertinent. He asked if I wanted to go inside, and I did. Stephen told me that the boat had been in worse shape than anticipated, but they weren't expecting it to be this bad. As an American, I'm not quite as familiar as one would likely need to be on things like charity trust or raising money in the United Kingdom. My experience has been limited mostly to GoFundMe and crowdsourcing and 501c3 nonprofits in the United States, and those are very, very different things. But when I stood in that boat and I thought about all the things I've learned about Charles Lightoller and how he never gave up and how his story opened doors for me, I knew I had to help, even though I had no clue what I was doing. I volunteered to help crowdsource money, Stephen put me in touch with John, and thus began another adventure in Sundowner's storied history. For now, she is under the watchful eye of Stephen Dennett, who is taking wonderful care of her. And John told me he fully understands the importance and, and wants to keep her as a, a monument to the brave men of the British Expeditionary Forces and Charles Lightoller. But with a, with a charity and putting a boat or something like that as a charity... Um, it was a charity, it was part of a charity, it wasn't its own charity, but it fell into neglect because, you know, a charity doesn't generate its own money, it doesn't generate, it, it relies on donations, and it always works because in the beginning everybody puts all this money in towards fixing it up, but then it doesn't, no one then keeps moving that forward, and then needs more money again and more so that's that continuous sort of up upkeep of it and i think that's where i'm like well if we if it's not a charity if we have a very clear business plan as such whether that that is like okay well we're restoring the boat but then we're still planning then on touring and doing so whether we're doing like like events or opening it up to corp you know to corporations where they want to do like a dinner or something like that that you can kind of almost charter it and or do fundraising for other people, but still then have it associated along those lines. So we really, as you say, opening it up, like the first thing is obviously getting it up and going. He's asking difficult questions. What is the best way to save a boat? A boat that was already in a charity trust, but was left in disrepair. But it's a historic monument and we want to honor that. So of course we came up with crowdsourcing and to make sure that she would always be open to the public and those who want to see her. We need help to do that. And that's why I'm doing an episode of the podcast on it. The story of Charles Lightoller's life changed mine. I don't think there's any question about that. But also, maybe as a form of repayment, I can help save this piece of him that is left. On this earth. Charles Lightoller has no grave. He was cremated, his ashes scattered. But as I stood in that boat, I could feel the stories, I could feel the memories, the love. He loved his boat. 
And I wonder how many people are alive on this earth today because Charles Lytoller saved their relatives. I spoke with one man whose name was Gavin King. His father was a survivor of Dunkirk. And he was on board Sundowner. Crammed in like sardines, he wrote. His father was Sergeant Reg King, and Reg noted that eventually it started circulating and making the rounds that the man whose boat they were on had survived the Titanic. Now, about 50% of the people on board were excited. Clearly, if this man had survived one of the worst maritime disasters in history, surely they were safe, correct? The other 50%, Reg wrote, thought he was a Jonah and that they were all about to be ingested by a whale. Those are the stories I want to save. Those are the memories I want to keep. It's quite funny the way the story of a British sailor intertwined the lives of three people who didn't know each other before this whole thing. Three people who weren't even born when this man was alive. He died in 1952. None of us existed yet, and yet here we are, for whatever reason. And I'm not sure what the reason is, I couldn't tell you. I just know we all love this boat. And if you would like to donate, we do have a website. It's sundowner.online. There you can find ways to donate and learn more about the history of the boat, and it's going to be developed as we get more and more into the story. I hope you'll stay with us. This is going to be an exciting chapter in Charles Lightoller's history, even though he won't be here to see it, at least in person. Thank you so much for listening. This special episode of God's Favorites podcast was produced and done completely by me with interviews from John Scott and, of course, our dear friend Steve Dennett. Thank you both. Join us in two weeks when we start our series on the amazing Harriet Tubman. Cannot wait for that. And as always, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time, friends.